Well, this week we are continuing our message series in the book of Acts called Unstoppable, the story of God working through his church. And um, this passage is so important um, to the story of the spread of Christianity. Um, its message throughout the entire world. Went from this little handful of people to I think there's like over two and a half billion Christians in the world today, which is pretty supernatural. And this, Acts chapter 2, where we are this week, is the birth of the Christian church. And so the first question we have to answer is, what is Christian? What is Christianity? Um, and the answer is in the beginning of this book, in the book of Acts in chapter 1, Luke, who wrote uh, the book of Luke, the gospel, and the book of Acts, He's writing to Theophilus, and he says, I'm writing to tell all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And that is the gospel, who Jesus is and all that he did and said. And so um, that's what Christianity is all about. That is at the core of the Christian message. It's not about me telling you how to live your life or what you should do on weekends or what your hobby should be or how you should vote. Um, it's not how to be a good citizen. It is what Jesus said and Jesus did and who Jesus is. And so the word Christian is used three times in the New Testament. And it literally means belonging to the party of Christ. Belonging to Jesus. And so that's what Christianity is. And so the Christian church, as we go to the book of Acts here, we're talking about really the birth of the Christian church. The Christian church is about Christ. It's about what Christ said and did and who he is, right? It's not about civil discourse. It's not a club or a benevolence organization or any of those things, although there's lots of good things that we can do together as a body and as Christians. The Christian church is about Jesus. It's not about music or books. Church is not something you throw in a bag on Sunday morning and, and then after we gather together, you put back on the shelf. It is who Jesus is. And so this little small group uh, in the first century, these Christians, they didn't have any of the modern conveniences and the essentials that we would say for success in church, right? In a growing church. They didn't have buildings, they didn't have a lot of money, they didn't have political influence, they didn't have social status, and yet Christianity exploded all over the earth. How? Why? That's what we're going to talk about today. So Acts chapter 2, let me read through, I'm just going to read the first 13 verses of Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? 
And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. That must be the good kind of wine. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it has gotten to us this morning, today. The truth, the message of Christ, the message of your church. And so this morning, speak to our hearts, Lord. May we hear you, not... Not what I have to say, Lord, but we pray that you would speak through your spirit, through your word this morning. God, also, my heart is heavy this morning for those um, all over the world that, that are struggling and suffering in many different places. But this morning, especially in Israel, all that's happening over there, Lord, families and uh, children and husbands and wives and mothers and fathers and, and so many, Lord, are, are hurting and are in danger. And God, this morning, we just pray that you would intercede. Lord, through your Holy Spirit, that you would move there and bring comfort, bring relief, bring protection. God, I just pray that you would move in the hearts of those there, those that are being aggressive, those that are inflicting pain and suffering. And God, I just pray you would minister there in the midst of those people this morning. Our hearts break for them, God, and we lift them up to you in Christ's name. Amen. So the title of today's message is God Acts. God Acts. And so what we're going to see here today is that God is acting in this second chapter of Acts. Um, the day of Pentecost, is, Pentecost is, is, is referred to in several ways. It's also called the Feast of Weeks. Um, it's the first uh, the celebration of the first fruits of the harvest. Um, modern, uh, your modern Jewish neighbors and friends uh, celebrate it as Shavuot. So they still uh, celebrate that Feast of Weeks today. The transliteration of the word Pentecost in the Greek is, literally means 50th because Pentecost was to be celebrated 50 days after uh, Passover. And it was the giving of the law. Two celebrations, the giving of the law, the Jewish people celebrated uh, Mount Sinai and God giving the law, and also uh, the harvest um, had some agricultural significance. And so it says at this time, at Pentecost, you know, Jesus has died and risen from the grave. Chapter 1 said that he spent time with the disciples, his followers, about 40 days. And then he ascended. And so this is, and then Jesus said, go and wait. Go and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you, right? So they went to this upper room. They're waiting. They're all in this one place. It doesn't say necessarily they're celebrating Pentecost or anything like that, but it's roughly, uh, it's 50 days uh, after Passover and um, maybe 10 or 11 days after Jesus has ascended. So the scene is set, and then the scripture says, suddenly it is time. It is time for the birth of the Christian church. It is time for the, the gospel, the Christian message of Jesus Christ to go out into all the earth. And so I said for the last couple of weeks, this book of the Bible, sometimes you'll hear it uh, described as Acts. 
the acts of the apostles. But really, it's the acts of God moving. Um, it's the beginning of the church. It's the beginning of bringing the story of Jesus to the world. And so it's the story of God. And so for the next few moments, I want us to see in this passage, I know a lot of people uh, get into this passage of Scripture, this chapter, and talk about a lot of different things, but I want to take, take it from the perspective of what do we learn about God Himself in this passage? Who He is and why and how did He commission the church and send the message out? So who is God? Number one, God is faithful to his promises. We see in this passage of scripture that the very beginning, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven, it says, right? It came from heaven. They, they didn't stir this up. This was something, this was a God thing. See, God had made a promise. Jesus had made a promise. The Holy Spirit is coming. Power is coming. God's presence is coming. You won't be alone. I'm not leaving you alone. God is a covenant-making God, which means he's relational. He makes covenants with his people. And he made a promise, and he gives you and I a part of that covenant, which is faith. It's trusting him. And so the disciples, the followers, their part of the covenant was going and waiting. He said, go and wait, and so they went and wait. He promised to send his spirit. And we see that God in the Old Testament promised his spirit. In the Old Testament, Isaiah 44, 3 says, I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Ezekiel 26, uh, 36, 27, and I will put my spirit in you and move to you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I will pour out my spirit in uh, in Joel, he says, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So in the Old Testament, God talked about sending his spirit, his presence to be with us. Jesus talked about it. Jesus, uh, John chapter 16, Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him the helper, the Holy Spirit. In verse 13, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. John 7, Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. And then to receive. And of course, in the last chapter, Jesus said, wait and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus said, go and wait. The spirit will come. They did the Spirit came. God is faithful to His promises. That's the kind of God that He is. This book, Scripture, all through the Bible is full of those promises. You can build your life on the promises of God. You can trust Him for your future. You can trust Him for your eternity. What you can know about Jesus this morning is this. What he says, he will do. His promises are true. Who he says he is, he is. Listen, no one else or nothing in your life is faithful like Christ is faithful. I tell my kids that I don't like to make promises. We'll talk about, are we going to Chick-fil-A or whatever? You promise? No, I don't promise. You never know what's going to happen. God makes promises. Jesus makes promises because he can keep them and he does keep them. And we see it over and over again. So my question to you this morning is, who are you trusting? 
What are you trusting? Because what, if it's not Jesus, if it's not God Almighty, it will fall through. God's promise, his presence. He promised that his presence would be with, with us. And so uh, he promised the spirit and here he is. And so God is faithful to his promise, but God is also active in pursuing you and in pursuing me. Verse 2, two through 4 says, Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. God came. God came after them, right? He pursued them. God's Spirit is His presence. He wants to give you his presence. He want, his, his intention is not for us to live life on our own, but that we would walk with his spirit, with his voice, with his guidance. And, and he came, he aggressively came to those in this room and he came to us. He sent his spirit into the world. From the beginning, God has been pursuing us. The story of the Bible is over and over again. God pursues, we run. God pursues, we run. From the garden, he pursued Adam and Eve all the way to Jesus. He's pursued you with Christ. He's pursued us. He's built a bridge through Jesus. And he has sent his spirit in this moment. He sent his spirit into the world to live with and in and through mankind. It's not the other way around. We don't pursue God. He pursues us. In our flesh, we pursue the immediate things. But he loves and pursues you and I. Scripture tells us in Romans, there's none who seeks after God. And so it's, a, it's good news that he pursues us, that he pursues us. He says suddenly. So just a little bit about this actual event. It was a sudden, loud noise. And it said the sound of mighty rushing wind. So there wasn't papers blowing off the desk or anything like that. It doesn't say there was wind. It says the sound of a mighty rushing wind. So this sound came from heaven, this powerful sound. It says a mighty rushing sound of wind. In the Greek, this Greek word bio means violent, forceful. So they're sitting and all of a sudden this sound comes, the sound of power and of force. It says in verse 5 and 6, there were some that were dwelling there in Jerusalem and the sound of it got their attention. The sound of what was going on brought them to this room where they were. So it could be heard coming from that place. Why such a big scene? To show that it was nothing that these disciples, these followers, it's nothing they did that brought this about. This was the power of God. This is nothing they could reenact. This is the power of God pursuing and coming to mankind. Remember Jesus talked to Nicodemus about the wind. He said it's unpredictable, unexplainable. Quit trying to explain it. I always look at great weather events and I think, you know, these giant storms come and, and hurricanes and stuff. And I think, man, the power of God. We can do nothing about it. We're like ants. We run and hide, right? With all the technology we have, we dig holes. We're trying to get away from it because it's a demonstration of the power of God and we better just, you better just get out of the way. I remember, uh, talked about this sound of this wind. I remember when we lived in South, South Alabama, 
I was at home one night with my uh, two oldest kids. They were real little then. I don't know, five or six or something like that, maybe younger. Two. They were two and one. Okay. Um, it's great. My wife's here. She gets me on all these stories, keeps me on track. Um, so they were two and one, but we were home, just me and them, and all of a sudden this storm came, and all of a sudden this sound came outside. It was turning this green haze, and stuff was all over the place. So we got in the bathroom, we got in the closet, and we're sitting there, and all of a sudden I said, surely not. Surely there's not going to be a tornado coming through here. And all of a sudden I just heard this sound. I mean, it sounded like the roof was going to come off, and there was nothing we could do. We were just sitting there, me and Sophie and Steven, looking at each other with our flashlights. And I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. And they're like, it's okay. Why are we in here? Um, and all of a sudden, I just thought at any moment, this thing was going to do the Wizard of Oz and be gone. And I heard stuff going on out there. And then it started to subside. We walked out. There's branches, windows blown in. Our fence was in the next county. It was crazy. Uh, the house across the street totally destroyed. There was nothing we could do about that wind as it came through that place. And he says this mighty rushing wind, it sounds like that kind of force came. God was making a demonstration that they knew this is not something that we created or we did. This is God Almighty coming, sending His Spirit. That wind is a familiar picture in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 2, it's the Spirit of God as the breath wind of God blowing over the waters of the newly created earth. In Genesis 2-7, the Spirit of God as the breath or the wind of God blowing into newly created man. In Ezekiel 37, it's the Spirit of God as breath and wind of God moving over the dry bones of Israel, bringing them to life and strength. So it would have been familiar to them as they, as they heard this sound of a mighty rushing wind, a demonstration of God. There's a couple important takeaways from this I want us to see here. Number one, it was not a manufactured experience. It was not about a manufactured experience. A lot of times we see this passage and we build whole denominations around this having this experience. That's not what this was meant for, to reenact. This was a God event. It was an appointment by God at a place in time, a demonstration by him said there in verse 2, and it filled the entire house while they were sitting. Listen, typically when Jews prayed, they either knelt on their knees or they stood. So the fact that they were sitting, a lot of commentators say, means that they probably were in between praying. They didn't pray up the Holy Spirit. God decided and, he, and it happened. And the point is this, the moving of the Holy Spirit wasn't anything that they conjured up. It wasn't cleverness or manipulation it was a move of Almighty God moving according to His will, His timetable, and His promise. They hadn't prayed enough. They hadn't reached any particular level of spirituality. God decided and it happened. That's important to understand because our temptation is to exalt the experience over everything else. This was an amazing event, yes, but we have to remember what it was. It was an event in time where God was demonstrating His power and His provision to the church. He's ordaining the church with His Spirit to accomplish His mission. It's not a prescription for how to conjure up the Holy Spirit in the church meetings. And so it wasn't about manipulating an experience. 
It wasn't about saying, see, look, we, we need to write books. If that happened today, we'd be writing books on what they were doing in that room. If you want that to happen in your church, we need to, we need to figure out exactly what was being prayed and sung. So that's one thing. The other important thing to understand here is the Holy Spirit is not something we can earn or manipulate. Some, some churches and worship teams are trying to stir up or summon the Holy Spirit into our gatherings, into our church. That's not how he works. And that's not what was happening at Pentecost. We're, we try to be careful about the songs that we sing, singing about Holy Spirit come inviting the Holy Spirit to come. He is here. We've been, we've been promised Him, and he, he has come. God has sent the Holy Spirit. What our prayer should be is, Holy Spirit, move with freedom. Move in me. Move among us with freedom. Change hearts and minds. We release our grip on this service. We get together, the, the worship team, and pray, and one of my prayers is, our prayers is, God, whatever we've planned, we release. Whatever you want to do in the service you, you do, we release our grip. Because what we're doing when we, when we believe somehow we can stir up the presence of the Holy Spirit or, or summons him, summon him into our service is that we take the power into our own hands. It's not our power. It's his. It's his grace. It's his mercy. And so we can't manipulate, but we also do not earn the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when you accept Christ as your Savior, when you put your faith in the, what Christ has done for you, the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, into your life, into your being. You are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says this, In Him you also, now listen to this carefully, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Listen, every person experiences Pentecost when they come to Jesus. The Holy Spirit possesses you. You see the wording there. When you heard and believed, right then, it wasn't later, it was right then, and it was something that was done to us. What we've been called to do, our responsibility in this covenant, is faith. God does the changing. God does the sending. It's something that's done to you. He says, he says um, when you heard and believed, you were sealed. You were sealed. That's something that happened to you. God sealed you with his Holy Spirit. It's an outside force. It's, it's him. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is within you and with you. This was a demonstration of that, a great event of the coming of the Holy Spirit, but he's been given. We have access through Christ. So God is pursuing. He pursued through his Holy Spirit. He pursues presence in your life. He's pursuing you this morning. He's been pursuing you. He will continue to pursue you. He's working in your life to draw you closer to him. He wants to reveal himself more and more to you. And he's pursuing your neighbors. He's pursuing your family members. He's pursuing your co-workers. And he's pursuing them through you. The coming of the Holy Spirit was that we would be witnesses unto him. 
to Christ. And that takes me to the third point, which is God is powerful in his provision. This is a supernatural movement, and it was an equipping of you and of me and of the church to be witnesses to Jesus. He says, divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This as of fire, again, it doesn't mean that everybody's hair was on fire and a literal flame, but it's, it's something that we can't completely understand. But it was a vision of divided tongues as of fire appeared to them. It was a demonstration. It was a demonstration of God's power. Deuteronomy 9.3, Know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. Again, it was a demonstration of God's power. What a picture. A raging wind, a raging intense fire. We also see that the Spirit comes to individuals. This is a new thing to them. It said, he's careful to say those, those uh, tongues of fire rested on each one of them. In the past, the children of Israel, God dealt with the children of Israel as a community and as a group of people. But we see here he deals with individuals on each one of them. This is a sign that the Lord saves, empowers, and calls individuals. He's, he's concerned with you personally. And he equips us he is with his spirit for his mission, which is to point to Jesus, to be a witness to Jesus, to testify, remind, and teach us about Jesus, even the fruit and the gift of the Spirit is, is about witnessing, being a witness to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is reminding us of who Jesus is. So why was the Spirit necessary for us? Because the work of changing hearts and lives, God has to do it. We can't do it. That's a lesson for us. We can't save people. A lot of times we take the power into our own, try to take the power into our own hands. That's a, that's a work of God. His Holy Spirit working through you and in you to touch people's lives around you. God has a plan. His message of salvation to go into all the world. And that's what this was for. He has chosen to work in and through people. That's what the church is all about. Those who have put their faith in Him. This is when the church was born and the mission of the church to testify to Christ was born here in this room. He's given the church a purpose. That purpose was not for the establishment of an institution or an organization. It wasn't about a Christian uh, country club or for us to have our own gyms and rec centers although those things can be good but that's not what this was primarily about the coming of the holy spirit it was to equip us not to give us our own bookstores and record labels it wasn't for you to have a concert on sunday mornings it wasn't a, for us to gather and rail on society the purpose of the holy spirit rushing into that room and to us today <clears throat> is to witness bear witness to Jesus Christ, period. <clears throat> many, many, many are comfortable being a part of a church organization, but not bearing witness to Jesus Christ. Don't tell me to share Christ with somebody. That's, I, that's not one of my gifts. That's not what I do. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. 
And the disciples didn't say, wow, that was cool. Let's, let's meet again next week right here and see if we can experience that again. No, he said to go and bear witness. We gather to celebrate on Sunday mornings. We gather to encourage one another. And scripture tells us to do that. Be reminded of all that Jesus said and did and is doing. And we love and encourage one another as the body of Christ. But we edify and encourage one another so that we can go beyond the walls of this place and be witnesses of who Jesus is to a lost and broken and hopeless world. <clears throat> to demonstrate him. I'm not saying stand on the corner with a, with a track. Nobody cares about that. They need to see Jesus in us. The Holy Spirit came to dwell within us because guess what? I can't do it on my own. I can try and act like a nice guy, and, but I'm not in my flesh. My motivations, your motivations, were driven by self. But with the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have the equipment. We have the power to live in obedience to Christ. It's not about an experience of the Holy Spirit. It's to walk in the Spirit. Recognize that the Spirit of Jesus Christ is living within you. And He's speaking to you. He's seeking to guide you. He's pointing you to Jesus. We talked about this before. He's, a, he's another advocate. An advocate to who? To your heart. Because your heart will condemn you. Your heart will say, I'm too, I've, I've sinned too much. I've gone too far. God doesn't want to hear, about, hear that from me. God doesn't want to hear me pray again. God doesn't want me going. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit is there saying, no, 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 no. Remember what Jesus did. Remember who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit's active in your life and in the world today in a, in a couple different ways. He draws the unbeliever. Scripture tells us that if someone does not know Christ, is not yet a Christian, the Holy Spirit is the one who speaks to their heart. It's not the cleverness of our words, although we're called to be obedient to share. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, And without the help of the Holy Spirit, no one can say Jesus is Lord. John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. He draws by his Spirit. John 16, 8, And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that opens the eyes of the lost and the broken. To say, yes, yes. I remember years ago, um, we were uh, living uh, outside of Miami, but we were coming back to Miami, that's our hometown, uh, on vacation uh, to visit family. And, and my mother-in-law lived there, and we would stay with her sometimes. And she didn't typically go to church and wasn't a believer. And we would go to church. And before we would get home, back to Miami, I would be praying up the whole time. Lord, just convict her and, and draw her to you. Help her to realize that you are who you say you are. You are her sa You are. You want to be her savior. You are the son of God. All those things. I was praying for her. And then we'd get there, and we she would go to church because we went to church. And she would be sitting there, and the whole time while the pastor's preaching, I'd be thinking... Yeah, yeah. Ooh, that was a good one. Yeah, yeah. She ought to, yeah, I hope she heard that. I hope she gets it. You know, it's like I'm thinking about her the whole time and God convicted me, said, stop. Pray. Yes, pray for her. Seek to, to, to be a witness to her. But I'm going to change her. And he didn't completely 
teach me that lesson until one time we was praying, praying, praying for her. And then we were at church one day and we we're sitting there and I was just thinking to myself, you know, I'm just going to focus on the message. I'm going to get along with the Lord this morning and, and listen to his voice speaking to me. And when they started playing the invitation at the end, I mean, she basically knocked us all over to get out of the pew and go down to the front and pray to receive Christ. She's like, I want to get saved. I was like, wait a minute, I, I wasn't rooting for you. How did you do that? God is the one who convicts and draws. He's called us to be a part of that, to be a witness. But then the trust in Him. So the Holy Spirit does that, is working in the lives of unbelievers. So when you live around an unbeliever or friends with an unbeliever or you have friends or family who are not Christians, demonstrate Jesus in the way that you live. Allow the Holy Spirit to work through your life to touch the people around you. But the Spirit is also working in your life as a Christian. There's a whole thing going on in every one of us this morning. 1 Peter 1-2, the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. The work of sanctifying, of, of changing me, is the Holy Spirit working in my heart and life. Because in my flesh, a lot of times we get caught in what we should and shouldn't do and what the people you know, in the world should and shouldn't do. What we need to be focusing on is being sensitive and listening to the Holy Spirit in my life, spending time in Scripture, spending time in prayer. That's not legalism. It's about listening. Make space in your life to hear God and let, allow Him to do the work in you. So the Holy Spirit speaks to you. He brings conviction of sin. He gives encouragement and guidance. He works through the, Holy, uh, through the Word of God to change my mind. He's drawing me closer. All of this came when the Holy Spirit came, when God fulfilled His promise and sent the Holy Spirit to this group of people and into the world to, as a gift to believers. For what? All of it to point to Jesus, to point us back to Christ. In chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. I said before, even when the Bible talks about gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians and Romans talks about prophecy, exhortation, teaching, service, giving, mercy. Those are gifts the Holy Spirit gives to believers. These gifts are for edifying the church. These gifts are for us to, to help each other, to love on each other. You are the answer to someone else's prayer in here this morning. Through the Holy Spirit, working through these gifts of encouragement and giving, teaching. There's also fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, you know, love, joy, peace, kindness, all those things, gentleness. That is the Holy Spirit working in me and through me to those around me, producing joy, producing kindness, gentleness. Patience. He's demonstrating himself through the world, through your life. So that people look at your life and say, what is this hope that you have? That Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, people should be asking, what is this with your life? And there's a challenge to the church here, right? It's to not, it's to not turn the gifts of God and the Spirit on myself or even just on us. Many times the temptation is to have a buffet of ministries in the church so that anybody, you know, we have a motorcycle club over here, we have a knitting club, we got something for everybody. It's to 
Go and witness. Be a witness of Christ. Tim Keller says in his book, Center Church, 80% of growth so in churches, new people who come to churches that are 10 years old or younger is new growth. 80% of the growth in a church that's under 10 years is new growth. While 85 to 90% of growth in churches that are older than 10 years is transfer growth, just people going from church to church. Because they don't have the things I like. Their coffee, they started using black press or whatever. I like, you know, that's what happens. We turn our attention inward just about us, what we think, how we feel. And so we operate, the church operates in the power of cleverness, our own cleverness, rather than the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, without the, without the leadership of the Holy Spirit, your primary concern is you. Period, right? And me too. It's the same thing with the church. The world around you, that's, know that that's the case with everyone around you. What have you done for me? But when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, He begins to testify and point to Jesus. My life becomes about others. My, my life becomes about pleasing Him, and it becomes about others. Think about these disciples. Many of these guys, when Jesus was crucified, hid. Peter denied Jesus when they said, you're with Him. It was all about protecting themselves, right? And then the Holy Spirit comes. All of a sudden, these guys are giving their lives for the message of Jesus. What changed? The power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And you can quench the Spirit. You can say no to the Spirit, even as a Christian. The Bible calls it grieving the Spirit or quenching the Spirit. Peter talks about a Christian who, who comes to faith and understands the truth, but then goes back to the old way of living like a dog that returns to vomit. That's what he calls it. That's what it says in the Old Testament as well. You'll be miserable because you are possessed by the Holy Spirit. And, and so you either live life fighting against the Spirit or walking in obedience with the Spirit, in step with the Spirit. The other thing is, if you are not being that witness to anybody in your life, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives within you. The Holy Spirit is pointing to Jesus. He's pointing you to Jesus, and he, and he wants to point through your life others to Jesus. If you are not being a witness, then you will become dissatisfied and cold in your faith because you are grieving the Spirit over and over again. If you decide, you know what, that's just not me. That's not me then you'll become dissatisfied with your faith and, and you'll develop a type of privilege, a privileged attitude towards God and towards other Christians particularly, like easy, back off, not so strong, because it becomes about me again. If that's true, then that's not the Holy Spirit working in your life. That's your flesh, and we're all prone to that. And finally, God is clear in His calling. There was some controversy here, it seemed like, right at the very end. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mockingly said they're filled with new wine. This is two perspectives, the flesh and a spiritual perspective, right? How are they speaking in our language? Listen, the bottom line is if you don't speak the language, you think it's crazy. God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. 
The Holy Spirit speaks in a spiritual language to you and to me. We must hear with faith. We must be sensitive to the Spirit speaking. And so even today, this passage is a little bit controversial. This, the debate is not, did they speak in these tongues? The question is, why did they speak in these tongues, right? What's well, obvious in this passage, right? Jesus said in chapter 1, you will receive, you will receive uh, power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And now the Spirit has come, and now they're all speaking in different languages. Languages from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's like, it's like if Jesus were to say, listen, when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to cut down trees. Okay? And then the Spirit comes, and we look over, and there's a pile of axes. And now we're like, what are those axes for? Whoa, this is crazy. There's axes. They were supposed to worship the axes. No, those are for cutting down trees. This was a very practical demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to go and tell people who don't know, who aren't like you, who don't speak the language you speak, about Christ. And here's some languages to do it with. It was him sending. These are, these are languages that they understood. They said in, in verse 8, how is this that we hear each of us in our own native language? These were actual languages. They've been given the ability, the power to be those witnesses. And my intent this morning is not to, to teach on tongues, but I will say there is in, in 1 Corinthians and some other passages the gift of speaking in tongues, right? Of the Holy Spirit. That's a different thing than what's being covered in this passage of Scripture. They're, they're different words that are used. That, that tongues is not for proclamation to others. It's a form of communication and prayer between a believer and God where the Holy Spirit groans with words and utterings that we can't even put to words. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14 talks about that. But those... Those types of tongues are different. The word used in Acts chapter 2, verse 8, and the word used in 1 Corinthians are different. The one in 1 Corinthians is not necessarily an understandable tongue. This, is, this means a dialect, a particular language. And another important thing before we get out of this chapter is, or out of this event is tongues is not a sign that you have the Spirit. It doesn't, doesn't mean that you have the Spirit, and if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Spirit. It is a gift. It's not earned spiritually. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, all these are the, talking about these gifts, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. It's nothing that you gain or earn by a certain level of spirituality. So I won't talk about tongues anymore that but these tongues were given to empower them to tell people about Jesus they were not given to create division on just the opposite that's Satan and the flesh just as these were starting to argue at the end of this uh, passage the tongues in this passage are unifying in the mission of God to point the world to Jesus and the truth is, we'd, we'd rather argue about things like speaking in tongues than tell someone about Christ. That's why we do it so much. So why is this passage important? 
It's the gospel. It's salvation for all mankind. It's for you. It's for me. It's for your parents. It's for your siblings. It's for your neighbors. Jesus came for you and for me. And this supernatural event demonstrates God's faithfulness and his pursuit of you and of me. He's pursuing a lost and broken world. He's given us the power to be a part of that to, in our own lives and, and, and to work in our communities and our neighborhoods and our families, to work in your life. And he has a clear call and a plan for all of, the, uh, all of us. And the, and the calling of the church, the Christian church, is not to be about all these other things. It's about being filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in the Holy Spirit, being obedient to the Holy Spirit in proclaiming Jesus. And I do that in my personal life. We do that, I do that from this stand right here. We do it when we're standing around the coffee table. We do it when we're walking around the flea market. The way that I live my life, the way that I treat others, the way that I'm ready to give a reason for the hope that's within me because the world sees the Holy Spirit working in my life sees a compassion and a love that they don't see in the world around me. So the calling is clear. And Christ is taking his message. And it's an amazing message. It is a message of hope and of joy and of the love of God coming to man. And so next week we will talk about what does this message actually mean? What is the message? Because right after this, Peter stands up as they're all starting to debate with one another. What's this about? Why are they drunk? What's going on here? Peter stands up and tells them exactly what it is about, about Christ, him crucified, and all that that means. And so I pray you'll come next week and we'll, we'll talk some more about that. Let me encourage you this morning. God is pursuing you wherever you're at in your relationship with him. You may be um, you may not put your faith in him or trust in him. You're just kind of you're, you're finding out more about the gospel and about Jesus Christ. He's pursuing you, and he will not stop. You may be a Christian here this morning. You may be a Christian since you were a little kid or just recently. Christ is still pursuing you. The Holy Spirit is pursuing you, drawing you closer to Jesus, closer to the fire. And he's working in you to bring the message of Christ to those in your life. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. What a, what a gift. This day is a great celebration, uh, this day of Pentecost, but uh, it is about God and it is about um, His message of salvation. Let's pray together. God, thank you for uh, who you are. Thank you, God. You're a faithful God. You're trustworthy. What you say, you will do. God, thank you that you include us in that mission, because you have come, you have sent your son to die for our sins, you have sent your son to make us new, to, to build a bridge that we might have a relationship with you, to bear our burdens on the cross. He rose from the grave, conquering sin and death. Lord, what you said you will do, you have done. You have brought salvation, and you have brought that message through your church, through your spirit to us here today, this morning. And we just praise you for that, that you are a God who is trustworthy, faithful. You pursue us. 
You're drawing us. You're working in us and through us to the world around us. Lord, may we walk in sensitivity to your spirit. Holy Spirit, may we hear your voice. May we make room in our lives to hear you and to be obedient as you lead us to a broken and hurting world. The message of Christ, the message of the church, of Jesus Christ, is the only hope. So may we live it out and may we share it. In Jesus' name, amen.